Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to read the first few verses in Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. <clears throat> Let's get right into it. Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. And we'll go through this chapter. This is a pretty interesting chapter. It says, And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. There, wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that we can look at these, this chapter and see what you have for us. Um, you use the Israelites in so many ways and you use Moses in so many ways. And Lord, you are always there for them. Thank you for being there for us. Thank you again for all the things that you've done for us and just be with us. Be with those that can't be here tonight due to illness and work. Lord, just let them know that we're praying for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You might want to also pray for the, um, the Birches too. They're at a funeral service. I think the service is tomorrow, but they're at a viewing tonight, so keep them in your prayers. Um, in chapter 16, let's just jump right in this. Chapter 16 is, starts, it says, and they took their journey. We talked about this last week. They took a journey. Don't, aren't we all on a journey? I mean, I've been watching this journey in politics come to a head today. And I'm quite frankly glad it's over. And then I, I, I watched last night. I thought that was very interesting and, and saw some things I was disappointed in. But, I, you know, you, you, see, you, you watch these things, you go, wow, that's over, that's over. Check that off. And um, I always tease Terry because Terry doesn't watch anything political. I'll ask her questions. She'll go, I don't know. You know, and, 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 you know, sometimes I envy that. I wish I could just shut it off because it makes me so mad. I talk to the screen. Anybody in here talk to the screen when something goes wrong? And you go, I just can't believe that they just said that. And so we all are going on a journey. So they go on a journey in chapter 16, but then read verse 17. It says that, that again, it says, And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin. And so here they're journeying again, and let's talk about the journey in, verse number, in chapter 16. Chapter 16, what happens in chapter 16? They complain because they need what? Water first, and then they complain because they have to have food. How many of you used water or food this last week? Something you need. And then they start complaining about the food that it's just what? Manna, and what does God do? He gives them quail. In the same chapter, it talks about um, the aspect of the manna to be put in a pot and then to be put in the Ark of the Covenant. And, it was so, so it, and I want to say this. If God put the, the manna in the Ark of the Covenant, it was very important. It was showing God's provision to the Israelites. And so we end it with that. And in the last, chat, last verse of there, it talks about that they were in this journey for 40 years. Then comes chapter 17. Now they're on a journey. Remember what they've already learned. They've already learned that God will take care of their water. God will give them manna. And God will take, take care of the quail. But from chapter 16 to chapter 17, verse 2, somewhere along the line, God forgot about them. So they thought. Look what it says. They get on this other journey and they've got all these things coming their way and God's taken care of them. And in verse number 2, it says, Wherefore the people did chide with Moses. 
It said, and said, give us water that we may drink. All of a sudden, chapter 16, God is taking care of them. Chapter 17, He's left them high and dry. No, He has not. Sometimes He just wants to test us. From chapter 16 to 17, do you think God forgot that they needed water? You and I are the only two that think that, okay? Do you think that they feel that, they for, that, that God forgot that they needed water? No. He knew they needed water. So let's look at this. I'm going to give you three aspects of this, of this journey. Um, the first part of this, when you look at chapter 17, the journey, in this journey, they, the Israelites, realize that God's people can complain pretty quick. Can't we? You know, we can complain. You know some of the things that people complain about in, in a church service? Where they sit in their pew? Right? This is my pew. I leave my mints here. Or I roll them to the front of the church. Or I, am, I leave my Bible here, which I don't understand why people leave their Bible in church, but... I leave my blanket in church. You know another thing people get upset about? Parking stop, um, spots. This is where I park. I don't care if they're visitors. It's almost like if, if I tithe, Bernard, I've got rights to my seat and rights to my parking spot. I've seen people get mad about it. You know, hey, don't, don't they know we tithe? They're just visitors. What are they doing here? And I want to compliment you on something. We had a couple that were standing back there. And I, and I text them a couple times. We're going to go out to eat next week. And you know what he told us? He told me in a text. He said, you are the friendliest church I've been to so far. That's something to be thankful for. Now, don't just be friendly, be genuine. But here, it doesn't take very long for us to complain. Hmm. The worst thing a preacher can ever say is, this is going to be a short message. <laughs> and the second thing is, is people that remember everything you say. You ever been there? You sit there and you say, what does it take for us to complain? God had not forgot about them. I mean, if you just think about the miracle that was in chapter 16, the manna coming down for them, the quail. And we talked about this last week. That they, uh, the, the manna didn't just come down in all different sorts. Oh, here's a waffle. Oh, and, and here's some French toast. And it, it came down, they had to work it to make it, make it work right. They had to make it into different things. They also talked about what? On the sixth day, you do what? You get enough to do the seventh. And you know what? The people didn't listen there. You just almost, it's almost a perpetual complaining with these Israelites. So God, all of a sudden, has all these people in the wilderness, over a million people, and all of a sudden, He forgets that they need water. And so who do they go to? They start nailing Moses with it. You're the one that did this. The journey that, that, that they realize that God's people can, can complain about everything. Now watch this. Look at the word that they use. They use the word chide. It's an English word we know, but we don't use it that much. So I looked up in the... Hebrew, what the word chide means, a little bit stronger than just complaining. It says to strive and contend. 
Then it says this, both physically and with words. Then it goes on and says to quarrel. So it says in the verse number two, it says, um, therefore the people did chide with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. And then look what Moses says unto them. Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? He flips it back on them and says, listen, God took care of us in chapter 16. He'll take care of us in chapter 17. Quit complaining. And I don't think we have a church that complains here. But I want to tell you, it's pretty easy to do it pretty quick. Complain about the flags. We complain about the colors of things. I think we have a flag that's out of order. We have all of our, our, our states over here. And there's a state that's over here. Anybody know where the state is over here on these flags? Anybody know which state, which one it is? Well, you say, well, now, now you're all wondering, which one is a state flag? See, we should move that state flag over there. Because it's not right where it's supposed to be, but you don't even know which one it is. But I'm going to give you something to complain about, okay? Because they came to me and said, oh, do you realize that we put... I said, it doesn't bother me. See the one, two, three, four, fifth flag over? Looks like a British flag. Does anybody know which flag that is? It's the flag to Hawaii. It's a Hawaiian flag. That should, oh, we can't do that. We've got to shut the service down. We've got to fix this, move it over with the other flags. We're fine. We're fine. You realize how long it takes them to put the flags up? We're going to put some more flags up here when we get the new ones coming in. But we can find reasons to complain. Here, they had just went a little bit and all of a sudden, hey, and they knew where they camped. Look what it says. Go to verse number one. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journey according to their commandment of the Lord and pitched in. Now here, here God's telling them to pitch there. In Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. So he chides them. They chide him. And, and they take it to a different level. I was looking this up. Every time that they said that they didn't have something, they would always say, and we will die, and we will die. But now the Israelites are going to ramp this up a little bit. Look what they say. Keep reading in verse number 3. It says, and the people thirsted there for water, and the people, what's the next word? We love that word, murmured. Against Moses, and Moses has just told them the verse before that, that they're not, they're not going against him, they're going against God. And said... Wherefore is this, is this that thou hast, referring back to Moses, brought us out of Egypt to kill us, and it doesn't end there. And our children, and he even brings in the cattle, and our cattle with thirst. You've brought us to a place where you're not only going to kill us, you're going to kill our children and our livestock. And, and Moses, don't you know we need that? I think he knew that. And then verse number four shows you the reaction of what Moses says. Moses, remember they said they chided him, and some of it is not, they didn't physically hurt him, but they wanted to. Look what verse number four says. Moses responds in verse number four, he says, And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Now he didn't cry unto them, he cried unto the Lord, What shall I do unto these people? And if it would have ended there, it would have been fine, but look at the next one. They, they'd be almost ready to stone me. I think right here is where Moses writes his resignation letter to God and says, I don't want this anymore. Give it to Aaron. I'll just mingle with the crowd and it'll be over. But God had chosen Moses for a reason. 
Moses was a man that was always moving. He was a man of movement. God always did things for him and made him what he needed to be. So the first aspect is God's people can complain about anything. The second aspect of this, of this verse, of this chapter, is the journey. In this journey, they realize God's provisions can come from anywhere. There's been unsaved people that have given me provisions along the way. There have been saved people that didn't know I was saved and, didn't, and they didn't even ask me, but later on they would help me. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had someone help you along the way? Sometimes we don't understand where provisions come from. And we want to do the most logical things, but here's what happens. Keep reading in this. And it says in verse number um, 5, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee of the elders of Israel. Now watch the next three words. What does it say after that? And thy rod. With Moses, the rod signified God's authority to the people through Moses. It's almost like wearing a crown. When he carried that, they knew exactly what that was. They knew he took it with him to Pharaoh. They knew it was with the, 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 um, the Red Sea. They knew that this object that he carried was very important, and God wanted to bring it. And so if you keep reading in it, it says it's a force of authority to Moses. Now watch what happens in this. He says in the next part, it said, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod, where, where, wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb. And thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it. And the people may drink, and Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now, I don't know how much water came out of this, but it had to be a lot. It had to be a lot to feed, to, to quench the thirst of the people and, and to take care of their livestock. It wasn't just a little spring coming up. There was water there. God, God doesn't have to do it the way that we want Him to do it. And here you have God's authority to these people. But you know what Moses uses this as? He uses it as a teaching moment to them. Because he does a few things with it. He labels these places where he's at. He calls them a name. And see, you've got to go back and you've got to realize what those names mean. I'm going to give you those names and what they mean here. You know, there's, there's <clears throat> I don't really know what Walter is. I know what Wagner means. It goes back to an old German of someone who builds what? wagons I have never built a wagon in my life but my name means something in biblical times the names mean something so here the first thing that they realize in this in this aspect of this chapter is they realize that God's people can complain about anything the second thing is God's provisions can come from anywhere look at look, keep reading in this and he's going to tell you what the names of these things are in verse number seven so in verse number 6, we'll pick it up 6. Behold, I will stand before thee, thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place, the first, first name he says is Massal. And then the second one 
is Merival. Now, when you, when you look at this, because of the chiding of the children of Israel, he tells you why he calls them this. And because they tempted the Lord saying, is, this, is the Lord among us or not? See, you've got to realize when you go on a journey, either God's with you or he's not. They, were, they are on one of the biggest journeys in the Bible and they're doubting God every step of the way. You ever wonder why God just put up with it? He does the same thing with me. He does the same thing with you. God, why do you put up with this? Why don't you just take care of this? Why, why can I do this and do that and do this and do that and not follow you and you still bless me? Why is it? Because we have a loving God. We have a caring God. And as you go through this, you see, see the first one, Massah, that means the word temptation. You know, that, that's a great word to put out, temptation. So, how often do you think they use this rock? All the time. And he labels it temptation. You know what the, you know the Merivah means? It means strife and contention. Okay, now let me just, I want to use a visual for you. If I were to take and put this right over the water fountain out there, and every time you drank it, you, you remembered that what? You complained. You had temptations. You, you tempted God. That's what Moses is saying. He's saying, sure, God's going to take care of you, but we're going to name this so you understand every time you come back, every time your children come back, every time your servants that take care of the animals come back, they're going to realize that we did not trust in God. And I love that word strife. Don't you like the word strife? Doesn't that make you feel good if someone came up to you and said, you're just full of strife. I love you so much, you're just full of strife. And you know, you're contentious, and, and you have temptations that you fall into all the time. So every time you put this up, you don't see this. Every time you go in someone's house, how many of you got this sign in your house about the, um, what's the, what's the sign everybody puts in their house? I'm drawing a blank. Um, what? As for me and my house, that's it right there. Thank you very much. I'm having a moment. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Anybody have that in their, in their house? Okay. There's about four or five of us. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get this, get one professionally made, and put it by all your water sources. I'm trying to point out to you that Moses is trying to show them, quit complaining. Quit complaining. Now, think about this. Where did the water come from? A rock. When's the last time you saw a big rock and said, you know what, I'm going to go get something to drink? Just turn the spigot on and just start drinking. Yeah, I mean, it, there's a rock. God doesn't have to do the things that we think He has to do. God will always use things that He wants to use, not that necessarily we look at and say, hey, you've got to use that. How many of you are going to buy this? I, I should try to market this. Just put this over by all your water fountains, all your, all your sinks, all your outside spigots. And what would happen if I came over to your house and, I, and I, was, I said, can I have some water? I go up to your sink and you've got this temptation and strife. You know the first thing I'd ask? Why do you have that on there? 
And what are you going to say? Because everybody complains. We flippantly look at this word, but this is what Moses, Moses said. This is what he called the place where they're going to get their water every day for a while. So every day they come back, it's a constant reminder of who they are. And let's say this, let me say this to you. It's not bad to have constant reminders. It's pretty good to have some constant reminders. We are not what we need to be. So we've got to look at this and we've got to see that God says, listen, He says you need to remember what, where you have come. Now the last one is this. So we have the first one. God's people can complain about any, ever, anything. Number two, God's provisions can come from anywhere. And number three, God's power has nothing to do with normality. So where are you going to get that in this story? If you continue reading, a battle takes place in this, in this chapter. And read it. Everybody knows the story. What's the story? Anybody remember the story? Anybody remember the story? Or you remember the story? What? He had got to hold his hands up. Let's read this story, okay? Go, go to verse number 8. Then came Amalek and fought with um, Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill <laughs> with the rod of God in mine hand. And Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Now, this is interesting. Anybody in the, been in the military in here? What would you do if your commander told you, listen, I'm going to go on top of the hill. When I hold my hands up, you're going to win. When I put my hands down, you're going to lose. What would you say, Russ, to somebody like that? This is not a normal battle, okay? I would say, you wouldn't say anything to him, but in your back of your mind, you're going, what have we got ourselves into? So Joshua takes these guys down there, and then listen, it says in Moses, uh, in verse number 10, so Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hands, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him. He sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stay, stayed, up, stayed up his hands and one on one side, one on the other. And the other on, on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. So we're going to stop right there. So here's basically what happens. He goes up on top of the hill. Two guys are beside him. And, they say, and every time he keeps his hands up, they're winning. But when his hands go down, they lose. So they, he, they sit him on a rock. He puts his hands up and they hold his hands up. Doesn't that sound silly to you? But if God told him to do it, you better do it. That's what I'm saying. It's not a normal way of fighting a battle. I have never watched any movie in t on t TV or in a theater where someone's fighting a battle and the guy and the general's going. And he's winning. 
You know, they do this in a football game. It's called a touchdown, amen? But we look at this, and sometimes we don't realize how God doesn't think like us. He wanted the people to see that Moses was being used by God. The same guy that they're coming to and complaining about all the time is the one, when his hands are up, they're winning. I think this encouraged Moses, and it shows you that Moses was willing to do it because he said his hands were heavy. I don't know if you've ever had the ability of trying to keep your hands above your head. It's hard to do. You can keep it up there. You say, well, your hands don't weigh that much. It's hard to do. I remember we used to do this thing when I was in BLET. They said, it's called death by push-ups. I was like, what is this? He said, well, you have a minute. He says, so you, they, they say go, and you have to do one push-up. And you do one push-up. And then you get back up, and they said, you've got to wait a minute. When the whistle blows, you've got two push-ups. You've got to get back up. We do this for 40 minutes. By the time you're doing 30, 31, 32, 30, people are dying. They're just falling on the ground. They're not dying, but they're, their arms are... They, and then you start doing mathematically. I'm start, I, I should never do that. I start mathematically going, oh, no, I've done this many already. I can't do that many. Because when you get to 10, how many have you already done? Anybody? Five. One and nine, two and eight, three and seven, four and six, five and ten. So you've got 40, 45, 55, I think. And so I'm starting thinking in my mind, if I do 20, it's, gonna even, it's, it's even going way out even further. And I remember some of those guys had real big arms thinking they could do it. It ruined them. The next, next thing we were doing, their arms, you're walking around like this. But here Moses is in this battle, and it shows that God is in control just by raising his arms up. This is not the norm. So what does Moses do? When they win, when they, when, they, when they start whining, what does he do? He names where the water is. He gives it two names. So when they go through this battle, he comes up with another name. Keep reading. Go to verse number 16. I mean, sorry, verse 14 it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book. Rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Emelech from under heaven. So here, God is all about memories. And there's nothing wrong with writing things down in your Bible, writing down, things down in a source where you can say, okay, God did this this day. I think it's wonderful when you get a Bible, and in the Bible it says the day you were saved. Because when you have those days when you doubt... You can go back and say, no, Satan, I got, this, I got this covered back then. And then you say, okay, why do you write things down when God's done something wonderful? Because then you can remember on your down days, you can turn to, to a journal someplace, maybe the front of your Bible, and say, this is what God did on this day. This is how God blessed me on this day. Because sometimes when we get down, you know what we do? We forget what God's done. You ever been there? We forget what God's done. I do that. Because you know what's the biggest problem in your life? The one that you're going through right now. I mean, I look at some of you that some of the journeys you've went through and I, and I see God doing wonderful things and sometimes we forget what God's done in the past because of the problems that we have in the present. So he makes a memorial and look what he calls it. It's got, it when his hands are up, everything's got, he's got God's power. But look what the name he uses. 
In verse number 16, in verse number 15, Moses built an altar, called his name of it, and this is a Jehovah name, and it's called Jehovah Nisi. That's how you pronounce it, Jehovah Nisi. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. You know what the word Jehovah Nisi means? You look it up in the Hebrew, if you have a phone it can do it, but it means this, Jehovah is my banner. It was a reflection of what God had done for them. It's funny that we're talking about this because these people have just seen the ten plagues. It's fresh in their mind. They had just seen the Red Sea. They had just seen all the people get across, the, the, the um, Pharaoh being killed and the mighty men being killed, the whole country being wasted. And now they're coming in, they start complaining about the water. They start complaining about the food. They start complaining just getting manna. We need to have quail. He tells them you got to get your food on, on, on the day before the Sabbath, get enough for two. And we even read in there that they didn't do that. They went out and where's it at? He didn't provide that day. And if they would just listen to Moses, they'd have been okay. So then they journey someplace else. And they go in there and, 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 they, and they sit this thing in and they, they sit down and all of a sudden, where's the water at? Boy, they forget things really quick. I love working with young people because when you talk to young people, they say, I'm about ready to die of thirst. You ever heard somebody see that, say that? I'll show you. I'll, put, I'll tie you to a tree for three days. And I'll show you to die of thirst, okay? You ever been there where you say, oh, man, I, I haven't eaten in three hours. I'm about ready to starve. You ever been there? We've, we often forget things. But we've got to go back and understand that when God does something, He doesn't have to do the norm, normal thing. He can do it the way that He wants. And so He wins this battle, and at the very end, Moses makes a, makes a name, and it basically means that Jehovah is their banner. Meaning what? Jehovah is their God. You say, well, why is that so important? Have you been listening about everything that they've done? They have been complaining the whole time. And yet a battle comes, God loves these people so much, that He lets them win. Okay, let's put it on you. Show of hands. If you had people that were following you like the Israelites were following God, and they got into a battle, would you be upset if they lost? Am I the only one? I'd be going, I don't, you got, what would you say? You're getting what you, what's the next word? Deserve. Am I the only one that thinks that? How many of you would think that, man? I, Go get them, God, get them. Hmm. God sure does love us, doesn't he? Even when we fail, God still loves us. He does so many wonderful things when he doesn't have to do wonderful things. So you read in the last verse, it says, For he said, because the Lord has sworn that the, that the Lord will have war with Amalek, from generations to generations, this is why we are what we are. We've got to realize that God has something for us. God knows what we're going through every step of the way. 
Three points tonight is God's people can complain about anything. God's provisions can come from, and when I say that, I'm not just talking about you, I'm talking about me, okay? It's not a slam on you, it's a slam on me just as much. It says God's provisions can come from anywhere. Sometimes we don't realize where they come from, and then all of a sudden something comes our way, and we think, praise the Lord for that. And the third thing is, God's power has nothing to do with normality. He can do whatever he wants to make things happen. He can do anything he wants to make things happen because he is God. Don't try to put God in a box. God uses things that we would never use, right? We have a, a situation at my house. We have an animal outside of our house. I've never seen it. But I know it's there. I keep looking for it. But it's not there. But I know God put it there. I mean, I've looked for it, looked for it, looked for it. I don't want to catch it. I want it to just go someplace else. My dogs want to catch it. And they are hunting it frantically. I have never seen it. Nor do I want to see it. I just want it to go away. You know when I think about this? I just think of how God created everything wonderful. Because there's a little animal somewhere on my property that's black and has a white stripe down the middle of his head. All the way to the back. And it sets things on fire in my... I mean, I've, I've went into our laundry room and thought, what in the world is that? Is it under our house? I can't catch it, nor do I want to. My biggest fear is, and I want someone to answer me this afterwards, can they climb fences? If not, I need to leave the gate open at night and let them run. But you know, you sit there and you, you understand how God was a wonderful God, how he created everything that we would never create. I would never create an animal like a skunk. I would never say, you know what? Your defense is this. But God sure did. He's not the norm. He makes everything different. I'll end it with this question. Does God know what he's doing? Absolutely. Do you know what you're doing? Here's my question to you. You're gonna, somebody, some people are going to come up and ask me this question and tell me the answer next week. If you were to go on a journey, in a biblical journey, you were to have a camel and you're going to ride a camel. And you're going to ride your camel 150 miles. Remember how God makes things different? Which camel would you want? Would you want one hump or two? Because if you choose the wrong one, you die. God knows exactly what he's doing. You say, well, it's just, that's a two-speed and that's a one-speed. That's not what that means. They both have different aspects of them, used for different things, because God never does things normal. You know what? I'm thankful for that. Aren't you? If he can get water out of a rock, and he can have manna come from heaven, quails land for food, he sure is going to take care of me. And he sure does, doesn't he?